Well, amen. God is good. So we're just good to be here and uh, just spend some time here in upstate New York. Really beautiful here. You know, average American doesn't think of Martinville when he thinks of New York. You know, <laughs> thinks of Queens, Bronx, Bedford Stuy, you know, death. That's <laughs> what he thinks of. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to thank you for your, just a, a very a church that just takes good care of, of their visitors. Amen. We appreciate you guys. And uh, we've been here for a couple of weeks now, if you haven't noticed. But uh, we're ready to go home after another week. We appreciate all that you folks do for not just us, but just it's real and and it's and it's obvious to us that you're real about it it's not just a program amen and that's wonderful for us so i've been asked a few times about our second floor and what happened is is the beginning of the year um you have an architect and then you have to have an engineer who's structural and he's the one who actually signs the plans and turns them in he's the one that deals with the city planning and uh, it's a lot like here in America we have to have land use and occupation permits and the whole nine yards where we're at and uh, after a few months few months a few months about six seven months <laughs> I was like what's going on why aren't we hearing anything back and I went down to the planning department and I asked them if there was something that we could do to hurry this process and they said well as soon as you turn in your plans and when I went <laughs> so our our engineer never turned in our plans. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression. He didn't defraud us. He just didn't do his job. <laughs> and so then he turned them in. So, you know, we lost a, a huge part of last year. And that happens sometimes in life, right? Things just happen. And, uh, you know, I don't know if the Lord's protecting us from something or he just has different timing than we got. I'll tell you that. So right before we came here, uh, to the states and in August uh, we received a accepted a proposal from a, a different fella I had a couple of deacons and they said get rid of that guy preacher <laughs> he's, he's wasted too much of our time and so you know Lord willing by around I think March April we should be starting to build that second floor Lord willing because it shouldn't take that long and and the building itself won't take that long the construction I think a few months there's no foundational work there's no you know, it's, it's just putting it up on the roof, amen? It's all built. It's, the bottom floor has been built for that. So we appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your prayers on that. Just keep praying that we can have uh, find grace in the sight of those planners and, you know, inspectors and, and all the rest of it, amen? They say the good, the bad, or the ugly shows up. You don't know which one it is, but, you know, we're praying that the good inspector shows up. And then we have, if you be of a mind to, you pray for in November, um, we have a leadership conference. It'll just be the second one we've ever done, but uh, it's for pastors. It's for, you know, the leaders, Sunday school teachers, people that are in positions in their church to come out. We have uh, some great preachers coming down from the States and a couple of national pe preachers as well. And if you just keep that in prayer. Um, we just want to be a help. Uh, to men that are serving the Lord. Where we live, folks, it's, it's like here. It's like here. Um, it's very rural. You may have a, a Syracuse over there, but the rest of it's like Martinville and, and 
Where do you live? What's that place called? No, how? No, where you live? Hamilton or what's this? Starts with an H right here. Hannibal. Hannibal. That's that way. I mean, you just blink your eye and you're done. So we live in a state that has two million people. Just the whole state. You guys got cities bigger than that here, you know. We got a whole state with just two million people. 900 and something thousand of them live in the city where we have the Open Door Baptist Church. And the other 1.2 million live out in Martville's. And that's, that's how it is. It really is that way. It's just very rural. In fact, we have two other churches in some of these villages. And so a lot of these pastors that are coming to our conference are from little villages like this. And uh, they're passed over a lot. A lot of people don't even know they're there. And we just want them to know that we care about them. Amen. And then uh, in January, we have a campaign. Campaigns for Christ is coming. And they were just over in Mowali. I keep saying that wrong, huh? Malawi. It's the L's first instead of the W. All right. They're over in Africa. Amen. With Brother Dave Robinson. And it's just tremendous reports coming out of there. So uh, he just called me today. The director, his name is Dave Darling. And, uh, and he's sending 200,000 John and Romans down to me ahead of time. And so we're looking for an address to receive them. <laughs> and I said, give me a couple of days. I'll find somewhere to put them. And then, uh, and so he's going to come. He's going to come to our conference as well for a survey trip, and, and we're just going to lay the land. Our, our plan is to have three different campaigns, three different campaigns throughout the city, and then uh, and 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 see what the Lord will do with that. It's not about any one church receiving all the fruit or the effort or the glory. It's all about building the kingdom, and so we're just excited about that. It's probably the. I don't think we've ever undertaken anything of that scope. You know, this, this, this magnitude. So just pray for us on that. Amen. Okay. Why don't you grab two places in your Bible tonight. I want you to grab John chapter 1 and then get 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And just speak a little bit about stuff you already know about. Just put you in remembrance of it. I used to feel intimidated to get into a Bible-believing church and have to speak, you know, because you're thinking, man, they know everything, you know. <laughs> they know everything, you know. You're not going to bluff your way through it. And uh, but I don't feel that way anymore. You guys don't scare me anymore. Amen. <laughs> I don't ever intend to be controversial but I, I once in a while take some swipes at sacred cows and uh, John 1 John 1 verse 5 look there it says and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not so it says the light shineth in darkness so the light's doing what it's supposed to do it shines but it's the darkness that has the issue there's no problem with the light no problem with this book. There's no problem with the gospel. And the gospel works. I've been in probably about 16 different countries preaching the gospel. And I've never seen it fail. It works everywhere I go. Amen. And then look with me in 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, But the natural man 
receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the light shines in darkness, the darkness comprehends it not. The natural man can't receive the things of the Lord or, or the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him. He cannot know them because there's a spiritual problem. They are spiritually discerned. And the natural man is unable because he doesn't have those wires connected inside of him. Uh, that, thing, that thing is still broken inside. It hasn't been fixed. So these two verses, these two verses mention, uh, well, not just one of the greatest problems, the, the issue of, of men, uh, the greatest problem that man has, and it's his spiritual blindness. He is spiritually blind. Man is blind to the things of the Lord. He cannot comprehend the things of the Lord, the things that you and I have had the privilege of, of knowing and understanding and receiving because the Spirit of God dwells in us and gives us the ability as the Word of God is preached to, to help us to formulate uh, truth out of that. And because of man's spiritual blindness, he's, he lacks comprehension. Because he lacks comprehension, uh, most of the decisions, if not all of the decisions that he makes in his life are going to lead him to error because he's unable to, to make decisions based on truth. You understand? And, 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 and we're going to understand a little bit about spiritual blindness, and I'm going to try to make an application about how we try to reach people if we would grasp this simple concept that will help us as we uh, try to get the gospel to people, get the light into that darkness, because that's what we're called to do. We're, we're bearers of the light. And so I'd ask you to pray with me. Father, this, this evening we're here and, and we do so want to hear from you. And Lord, uh, I pray that you, you just give me just a measure of ability, just a little bit. And I pray that you'd speak to your people and help them tonight. Uh, that's why we're here. We need to receive something from you. And everything we have, we received. So help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want to mention to you, and this isn't very profound, but spiritual blindness is a condition, brother. It's not necessarily a consequence. It's a condition of man. Uh, the Lord, many years ago, gave me the privilege of visiting India. I went to India in 1993 and went again in 1995. And, and I saw and heard and, and did things there that just completely changed my life forever as I went to India. And, and you know, you guys have Brother Victor, right? And, you know, we had a, a Brother Victor, but his name was Joseph. <laughs> but the same scope of ministry. If you've been over there, you know what I'm talking about. Just, just you know, hundreds of people that, that they've trained and just 70, 80, 90, 100 churches that they've been a part of starting. It's just, it's apostolic in scope. And I went there and I remember we were there and the son of, of our host, uh, Joseph Garakapati, his son Joshua, uh, our church was trying to get him back to America uh, so that he could go and, and, and raise support for the ministry over there. Uh, Joseph was getting older and elderly, and, and so his son, uh, the mantle has fallen on him since Joseph's in glory now. And so we had, I think we had a petition with some 200 and something signatures on it, and so we went to the consulate. And we had meetings with the consulate there. We brought lawyers. We hired lawyers over there and brought them to the consulate. 
and uh, we had been to the bank several times because there's all kinds of financial conditions that you need to meet. And we were trying to, to just get a visa for him so he could come back to the States. And that initial trip, it was all denied. And then uh, if I remember everywhere we went in the consulate, uh, at the banks, uh, where the lawyer's offices were, everywhere we went, they had these, these little gods up on little shelves. And, you know, Hindus worship three or four main deities, even though there's literally thousands and thousands of gods, but there's three or four main ones that you'll see over and over again. The little, uh, the little boy with an elephant head is very common. And, and I saw those everywhere we went. I remember right before we came back home, I got the motions. That's what they called it. I got sick <laughs> and I was throwing up and, and I couldn't go out and I had to stay in the hotel room and they sent some men over there to comfort me and they took me to a doctor and in the doctor's office, those same little gods are up there and they're, they're, they're set there with great deference. I mean, these, they're not just casually tossed up there. Amen. And, and I'll tell you what I thought about when I was up there. Spiritual blindness, it, it isn't a lack of education. It has nothing to do with intelligence. And it's not always a religious thing either. You understand? I mean, these were doctors and lawyers and educated people that have been to college and, and have diplomas and doctorates and, and far greater education than I have. Amen? And so the, the, the question of their spiritual blindness has nothing to do with their educational level or their status in life. You know, and if we can see that distinction, uh, it helps us in our outreach, whether it's here or whether it's across the street or around the world. Not everything has to do with religion, brother. Not everything uh, it has to do with, with the, what, what a man uh, grew up in believing. A man is born blind. He's born spiritually blind. And that's his condition when he comes into this world. And his response to that is some form of... of Maybe a, a spiritual concept because he wants to cope with life. Because despite his spiritual blindness, he has, he has in his nature this, this spiritual element that seeks fulfillment. You understand? It's, some people may call that the, finger, the fingerprint of God or something like that, but it's in us. I want you to go to Romans chapter 1, if you would. Not everything has to do with religion. Not everything has to do with the level of education. Not everything has to do with, with uh, a refusal to understand things. If you, if you just take a step back and recognize that that man can't understand what I'm trying to, to talk to him about, it's, it's because of his condition. You know, it's not because he has an unwillingness, he's, he's, he has an unableness. Amen? Amen? Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and look with me in verse 19. We're going to read a couple verses there. It's because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, Romans 1, 19. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because notice this one says, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And what's it say there? Their foolish heart was darkened. Now, it says that they knew God. Now, that's an innate knowledge of God. Uh, it's what some have called the fingerprint of God or, or that evidence that God leaves in the, in, in the conscience of every man. It doesn't mean that they had a relationship with God. 
Uh, it merely means that there exists in man a concept or an idea that there is something greater than himself. And he's aware of that. And, and as we go to the mission field or as you serve here, uh, we need to keep in mind that we're dealing with people that cannot see what you and I have been given the privilege of seeing. They cannot initially see those things. And, it's, and, and rarely is it an intellectual thing. It's not always superstition. It's what God calls having a foolish and darkened heart. That's what he calls it. And, and, and it's a condition. It's not a consequence. Now, it could be a consequence, but normally it's not. And it could be represented by many ways. It can be represented by a social construct. It may be represented by a, a belief system that they've grown up in and handed down for generations. And however it's made manifest, it doesn't matter. God's light is able to penetrate that darkness. Amen. And that's what gives us hope. As we serve on the field, whether it's here in New York or, or down in Mexico or anywhere else, and it's something that should compel each and every one of us to, to give more and to do more and to serve more and to pray more. Amen. Because there's still hope. There's still hope. And secondly, I want you to talk about something else. I mean, first, let's just establish that you're dealing with people who have a condition. And if you thought of someone in the hospital that had some condition, amen. You'd treat them with better, better care, wouldn't you? You'd approach them differently, wouldn't you? Instead of just, amen, instead of just getting a little frustrated because they're not listening, they're not responding. You know what I mean? You go into the hospital, somebody with stage four cancer, that's a condition. You don't go in there and berate them. You don't go in there to win the argument. You have compassion. And, and you have gentleness with them. Amen. Because what, what the people who are lost have is a condition. And we need to approach them that way. You know, how many of you think that Jesus is the only way to be saved? There's just no other way to be saved. I, I know that. So here's what happens. Because of our view of salvation and how it's wrought can be so narrow. If we're not careful, sometimes we tend to make the means to salvation just as narrow. And we, and we, amen, and we, and we rob ourselves of all kinds of opportunity because methodology isn't always ministry. Methodology isn't always ministry. As a missionary, I remember not so much anymore because I really don't try to get into new churches too often. Amen. I got plenty of supporting churches and I'm just trying to, you know, come by and say hi to as many as I can. Amen. And I can't even say hi to all of them. I don't have enough time in my life. But I remember back in the day, I used to get these questionnaires. I don't know if you guys do that. You're fine with I mean, I think a church has every right to vet the people that are coming. I mean, this, this missionary thing is a curiosity to me sometimes. And, uh, you know, because you call some church. I called a church in Delaware on this trip that I'd never been in, never met. Hello, I'm a guy that you don't know anything about, and I want to come preach in your church. Amen. <laughs> and they say, okay. <laughs> I think that's even the, more of a curiosity that they're okay with that, you know. Doesn't know anything about me. Just because so-and-so said something about me doesn't mean anything. Anyway, um, but I used to get those questionnaires, and they're trying to figure out, you know, and, and I got to the point where I just stopped answering them. I stopped responding to him. To them, and, and I don't refuse them. Uh, I just choose to let someone else have the opportunity of that support. Amen. That's how I look at it. I just 
I'm okay with it, you know. I remember our pastor used to say, when you go to these churches, just be as quiet as you can. Because the more they know about you, the less they're going to like you. You know, I mean, eventually I'm going to cross some T different than you do. Eventually. Amen. Or I'm going to dot some I just a little different than you do. And there's none of us can be 100. I'm not even in agreement with myself 100% of the time, let alone with all you. Right. I mean, so anyway, let me get back to what I just said about methodology and ministry. Sometimes a method lines up. And it presents ministry opportunity. Um, sometimes it doesn't because we believe that there's only one way to get saved. You have to trust in that finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. What he did. Amen. Not what he's going to do for you. It's what he did for you. And we understand those distinctions. And, and our belief about salvation is so narrow. And it should be if we're not careful the way we go about getting someone to see that gospel message can often become just as narrow as our belief about it. And then uh, we're, we're limiting God to work. In other words, the way we do things here at home, um, well, it may, it, it, it may not should be done that way where the missionary's at. Amen. I'm in a completely different culture than you folks. And uh, you know what? Uh, I, I don't go down there and argue about the King James Bible with people that only speak English. Amen. So I got different issues down there. I got things that, that I'm trying to figure out. But in my experience, a lot of what people do in America won't work in, in our field. Amen. It, it's, it's, it's a Western society, but it's more Oriental where I live, especially in the subculture within Mexico that we work in. We work amongst the Mayan descendants. It's very Oriental there. They speak a different language. They have a different culture. In fact, the Yucatan Peninsula, Pastor, tried to annex itself from Mexico in the mid-50s and said, we're not even Mexican. We're Indians. <laughs> we don't even want to be associated with this country anymore. And they argued and squabbled about where the capital would be. And Benito Juarez said, yeah, forget it. And he made a, a presidential decree and said, you can't, you can't annex from the country. And that ended that. So here's what we do. We do this. You've heard of the Romans Road. Right? Do your heads like that, right? Because I know you all heard of it. All right? And this is what we do. We, we open the Bible to Romans 3.23 and we say, it reads there that you're no good and you're on your way to hell. And then we might take them over to Romans 6 and show them, hey, you owe God a debt that you cannot pay, namely because you're no good. And then if we have some time, we might go to Romans 5 and say, and in spite of all your no goodness, God loves you. Amen. And he wants to save you. He wants to give you a gift. And if we have time, we might go back to Romans 6.23 and, and show that gift is, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then if we have time even more, we'll take them over to Romans 10. Amen. And say it says right there, all you need to do is ask him. And so we've, we've planted and we've watered and we've sown all within 20 minutes. Hmm. <laughs> That's a pretty fast crop. Amen. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done. It shouldn't be done. I want you to misunderstand me. I want you to hear what I'm saying, not what you think I'm saying. Amen. I believe Romans 10, 13 is enough to get anybody in heaven. I believe that with all my heart. Amen. But what I'm not so sure about is if we can just run through three or four verses and get them from this darkness to that light in such a short amount of time that they understand what they're doing at Romans 10, 13. Amen. 
And if, you know, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Now, everything that I just said from Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and Romans 5.8 and Romans 10, uh, where I'm at is predominantly Catholic, uh, something like 99.99.99%, I guess. And so every Catholic I know would wholeheartedly agree with everything I just said, 100%. And if that's the case, then why do you send the missionaries down there for if they believe what you believe? Hmm. Amen? Some of you are waiting for the punchline, right? Where's he going with this? Because if I leave somebody in the same condition as when I found them, I haven't done anything, right? But I'm going to tell you why I'm there. Because in spite of their agreement with those things, with those truths, they're lost. They're lost. Because culturally or socially or generationally, they still believe in walking that darkness because their foolish hearts are darkened and they don't have the light and it keeps them from the light of the gospel. They know God, but only in the sense of what we read in Romans chapter one. They know he exists. They know that he's greater than, than they is, but they are altogether spiritually blind, blind about who Jesus is. So in the case of most of them in the field where I've been called to, I can only speak to Brom for, for my limited experience there. The method that I used so successfully at home for years in, in Seattle, uh, we, I began to come to these conclusions that were totally different as I began to implement that and began to see that really I, I wasn't bearing any fruit. Amen? I wasn't bearing any fruit there. And I was getting lots of decisions. Amen? You got to think with me, and Medi does, the number two recruiting pool in the world for Catholic priests. More seminaries there than you could shake a stick at. Jesuit seminaries. There's more nun cloisters. There, there's dozens of them. And there's dozens of seminaries. You drive around and the public transportation has a picture of the Pope on the back. Call this 1-800 number. You can be a priest too. All right? So that's where I'm working. And so you gotta, you got to approach this thing differently. I see these people in their condition. And, and so how can, I, how can I meet the needs of that condition? How can I minister to that condition? What can I do that will help their sin-sick soul get healed? Amen? Because this is what they need. I, I, I'm just gently trying to tell you folks that sometimes, you know, we spend a few minutes and we ask a few questions, but I just don't know if we're asking the right questions all the time. That's what I think. Uh, so a method doesn't always translate into ministry. And I think all of us would agree that spiritual growth is a process. Most, and, and if we're honest, we're all still in that process somewhere. We're all still growing. I hope there's more to you this year than there was last year, spiritually speaking. I want to have more of me next year than there was this year. You know, I want more of Christ. I want to be more Christ-like, Amen. I want to be more grounded and rooted in the faith. And, and salvation, we know, is not a process. Salvation is instantaneous. But I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get you to see tonight is that getting that person from that darkness to the edge of that light, that's a process. That's a process. And God wants to use us in that process to get people from that darkness to the light. And as Paul said, some, some 
plant and, and it's others they, they water and God gives the increase. Some guy comes along. And so, you, ever, you ever went somebody to the Lord and it was just like, that guy just walked up to me and said, what must I do to be saved? Amen. <laughs> right? Has that ever happened? That's happened to me a few times over the years. And you, well, you, how do you think he got to that place? You didn't do it. Somebody else been sowing that seed. Some grandma been praying for him. Somebody invited him to church. You know, and then, then somebody else threw some water on that thing. And maybe some guy at work, you know, he cultivated some of that dirt. Amen. And then you just came along and knocked on the door. <laughs> and he said, what must I do to be saved? Right. God did that. So what are we looking for? We're looking for a decision. Or are we looking to try to move people forward in that process? That's, that's what we're looking at. I study the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. I'll be done in a few minutes here. There are times when I find that he's speaking with a person alone. There's nobody else around. I should go to John 3. And I find those moments really fascinating. I'm going to show you a couple examples of that. And I think that when Jesus spoke to them in ways... Of course, he understood their need for salvation, but I think he could speak to people in ways that was just in line with their way of thinking. To the educated, he spoke to them on an intellectual level. To the unlearned, he spoke to them on a level, it was more like common sense. And to the broken, he spoke to them in a way that helped them see that their pain was legitimate and he could help them work through it. And, and one thing I cannot find Jesus doing is trying to win arguments or debating theology with anyone. I don't think he was motivated to prove that he was right and they were wrong. I don't think that was his motivation. Now look with me in John 3, and I, I, I'm just going to take the liberty and assume that you all are very familiar with this passage. Amen. And so for time's sake, I'm just going to... Oh, I'm getting English block. I'm going to overview it real quickly Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and that's interesting because Jesus is going to spend some time talking to him about darkness and his coming to Jesus at night is indicative of all of us in our condition before we came to Christ we came stumbling to Jesus in the darkness amen and, and we found him and so Nicholas he starts out Nicholas Nicodemus <laughs> starts out with a little flattery and, uh, you know, he says that, Jesus, you must be a true man of God because no one could do the things that you do, right, and not be sent of God. And, you know, Jesus doesn't even respond to that. Doesn't even respond to it. He's not impressed by it. He doesn't give a great discourse about all the scriptures that prove his deity and his divinity. What he does is he says, you know what, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. And he goes right to the heart of the issue. You're blind. And you're not going to be able to see something because of your blindness and that kingdom that belongs to God. And Nicodemus, look in verse 4, he says, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus repeats himself, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus says, I, I don't get what you're talking about, Jesus. In the next couple of verses, Jesus begins to speak to him in a way that makes sense to Nicodemus. And he uses the way the wind works. And there's a physical understanding uh, of that. And, and I think we can all connect to that uh, in some way because now he's taking a spiritual truth and showing you a physical parallel with that. And, and it helps Nicodemus get to a certain understanding. And, and Nicodemus responds in a way where you think that he's just starting to, to get it in a little bit now and for the next several verses what Jesus does is he says I'm going to show you this is how God's going to go about saving people this is how God's going to do it and the most well-known verse of the Bible John 3 16 translated into more languages than any other portion of the of the word of God hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of languages were spoken to just one man in the middle of the night to help that man come from that darkness to a place of understanding. Amen? And Jesus leads him to that place where he needed to be so that the next steps in his life would be based upon a personal decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Look with me in John 4. There's another example. Another discussion that Jesus has with a woman the woman at the well she's passing he's passing through Samaria he stops to rest at the well and a woman shows up it says at an unusual hour it says the sixth hour and my guess is she doesn't want to come for water when there's other women around she's she's not welcome she doesn't have a good testimony in the community it's probably very uncomfortable for her uh, because probably none of the other woman, women would speak to her. And I don't want to get into all the cultural and societal norms of those days, but she's just not welcome at the hour that usually women are there drawing water. And I'm fascinated by these conversations that Jesus had when he's alone with people. There's no disciples listening in, and, and, and the Holy Spirit just, just gives us a, 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 a seat at the table as we watch this conversation transpire. Amen? What, a, what an honor it is for us to watch our master at work and, and learn from him. And, and, and so he says, uh, he says, uh, if you knew who I was that asked for you for water. <laughs> and she responds to him with interest in having that thirst quenched. And he shows her what he's talking about. And he says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know. In fact, the last five men you've been shacked up with weren't your husband either. And you remember she goes off to the, to the town. And the response to that is very similar to the response that Nicodemus had to him when Jesus spoke to the real issue. In John 3, 9, don't go there. But Nicodemus responded. He said, how can these things be? You understand? How can these things be? And here in John, look at verse 20, John 4, verse 20. This woman responds to Christ. He says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And they're both basically saying the same thing. They're saying, I want to know the truth. I, I do not want to walk in darkness anymore. And I'm recognizing that there's something about you and how 
My life would be definitively changed if I was to follow you. And just as Jesus gave Nicodemus definitive truth to ponder, Jesus gives this woman some very definitive truth. He says God is looking for her every bit as much as she's been looking for him. And now what he says? Look at verse 23. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. I suppose we could consider a few other of these private conversations. But here's the point. Jesus tells Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus, whenever you're ready, you can leave behind all this physical and limited understanding of the Godhead that your religion has blinded you to, and you can be born again, and you can follow the light and have a fulfilling relationship with the God that you've been telling others about all your life. Amen? And he says to this woman, He says, you can stop trying to fulfill your need to to be accepted by continually choosing men that have left you abandoned over and over and empty and empty. And you can follow me. Amen. And he says, the decision is yours. And you can walk in a true and a satisfying relationship with God the Father. And he doesn't feel the need or he doesn't show any need to press for a decision. He, he, he doesn't try to close the deal. He doesn't say, hey, bow your head and repeat this prayer after me. Some of you are getting uncomfortable right now. Amen? And I'm not saying that I don't use a sinner's prayer or refuse to or, or it's unbiblical. I didn't say that. I'm asking you to listen to what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. Amen? Let me show you why. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again. Let's go back over there. And we'll finish up with this passage here. So what we've said tonight is is that spiritual blindness is a condition. And we should approach spiritually blind people as though they have a condition. Amen? And we might have a little bit more compassion. We should understand that You and I, brother, we are not going to trick anybody into heaven. You're not going to trick somebody into heaven. Amen. By just going through some quick little routine. It's not going to work. We're going to leave these people in the same condition. And and you get to a place in your life and in your ministry where you're no longer results oriented, but you're ministry motivated. Trying to find an opportunity to serve this person where they're at. So that I can move them further in the process, one step, two steps, three steps, I don't know. But I know that they're here in this spiritual darkness and their hearts are darkened. And I know that the answer is to get to Jesus. Amen? That's the answer. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look with me in verse 1. I want you to notice this. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God, because it's like we said earlier, it has nothing to do with intelligence, brother. It says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. (coughs) My speech, my preaching, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I didn't depend on a method. I didn't depend on a strategy. I didn't depend on any plan. Amen? But in demonstration of the Spirit and power. 
I trusted the Holy Spirit to work in me. To work for the benefit of that person. And do all the discerning that I am unable to do. Because I don't have the wisdom for it. But notice why Paul says why. Says that. Or because or in order that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You were brought through this process and now you stand here ready to make a decision that's your own. Amen. You weren't coerced into it. You weren't tricked into it. You weren't manipulated into it. No, no smooth talking salesman going to get you into heaven. You got to trust Jesus Christ. You got to trust him. Now, here's the point. We're called to work in the kingdom. And kingdom workers are not supposed to be results oriented. We're just supposed to, to, to sow and we're just supposed to water. And when God says a harvest, you go get the harvest. It's God that gives the increase, not us. So this is what we've talked about. Now, I want you to think about in your own personal salvation testimony. If you were to stop and think about it, you could probably begin to identify some of those steps that the, the Lord was using others to bring you through. Right? All of us got saved at the foot of the cross, but every last one of us got there a different way. <laughs> All of us, it was a different path. I remember Liz and I, her sister asked us to start listening to a radio station. And we started listening to this radio station that I didn't know, I don't know what to compare it to. I, I didn't know anything. It was Calvinist. It was Reformed theology, but I'm listening to that. And that guy's talking about Christ. Amen. And he's talking about all kinds of other stuff, but I didn't have anything to compare it to. And then right at the same time, a, a Nazarene church, Pastor, a Nazarene church started a church in the junior high gym down the street. And they came through our apartment complex and invited Liz and I to go there. And we went. <laughs> we went to a Nazarene church. Amen. And then right about that time, my son was born. And I'm in that hospital. And I've been listening to this guy on the radio. And we've been going to this Nazarene church a couple times. I used to go over to the preacher's house. And get the U-Haul that he had. He had an old U-Haul van that they had bought. It's full of all the chairs and the altar stuff. Because it's a rented gymnasium. Couldn't keep all the stuff in there. And I'd go over there and get in that U-Haul. And I'd take it over to the gym. And I'd be smoking a cigarette on my way over there. Had hair down to here and a beard like this. Outlaw's jacket on. That was me. And yet the Lord was moving me along. Just moving me along. And I don't remember much of what they taught in that church, but I remember some of those folks on this. And all I know is we wanted what they had. I wanted what them people had. Amen. Amen. And then Richard was born, and I'm standing in the hospital, and it all just came tumbling down on me like a pile of bricks. There is a God in heaven. <laughs> Man. And I'm in some serious trouble. <laughs> That's my reaction to it. I didn't have this joyful catharsis, you know. I said, oh man. And I gave that baby back to that lady. And I ran home and I hid and I tried to hide under the carpet, man. And, I, and I, you know what I remembered? I remembered on that radio station, that guy, that guy who you and I would call a heretic. 
But the Lord used him anyway. I remember he used to say this all the time. Because, you know, he didn't believe in altar calls and that kind of stuff. He's a Calvinist. He's a Reformed theologian. He said, you know, call unto the Lord. Cry out to Him. He's merciful. That's what he'd say. He'd say, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And I remember that in my little apartment. Amen? having just realized that there's a God in heaven and all this stuff that's been just swirling around in our life for the past three or four months, it's all real. <laughs> it's all real. And everything I've been reading in this book is real. The little bit I could understand of it. Amen. And you know what I did? I cried out unto the Lord. I said, save me. And, I, and I'll just, just don't send me to hell. Just save me. <laughs> he did. And I'm still saved. And see, each one of us have a different testimony. Each one of us got to the foot of that cross and a different path. Amen? Now, not all roads lead to heaven, but there are many roads that lead to that cross, brother. There's many roads that lead to that cross. It has your life and your circumstances and what was going on in your life and the people that were encouraging you, the people that were praying for you, people that were inviting you, the people that were trying to challenge you, all these different things. Amen. And that's what we're talking about tonight. That's what real evangelism is. Real evangelism is just trying to discern where a guy is and see if you can just help him along. <laughs> help him along in the, in the process. Amen. Anyway, I hope that was a help to you tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love to us. You've been good to us and you've been good to this church, Lord, and faithful to us. And uh, we love you. And I pray that something that was said here tonight be a help to, to your people. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.